Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate product people. After you finish with this conversation, if you want to hear more of this type of thing, why not pop over to the website, onenightinproduct.com, and check out some of my other conversations with authors, thought leaders, practitioners, and those just starting out. There's something for everyone, so make sure you share with, well, everyone, or at least your friends. On tonight's episode, we'll talk about being an invisible companion. No, not like something from Dexter, but coaching and inspiring product leaders to succeed. We'll talk about some of the challenges faced by companies trying to transform, why product managers shouldn't just complain but get stuck in and help the transformation themselves, and how being a terrible manager is a great way to learn how to teach other people not to be terrible managers. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Stephanie Lawyer. Stephanie's a product leadership coach, blogger, and insanely fast reader who claims to have read 24 books this year, stats that would put Johnny Five to shame. Stephanie started out driving forklifts at a warehouse before moving into product management with PayPal and beyond. Passionate about helping product people deliver wow moments, Stephanie says she operates at a million miles an hour and hopes to help others make product decisions fast. Hates being told to slow down, so if she does go too fast tonight, I'll just sort that out in the edit. Hi, Stephanie. How are you tonight? Hi, Jason. Thanks a million. I'm doing great tonight. Thanks for having me here. No problem. First things first, you have been a leadership coach since May 2019, alongside roles in a handful of companies out there in Berlin. What sort of coaching is it that you do and uh, what type of people are you coaching? Actually, I'm not doing it only in Berlin. I'm doing it all over the world. So, for example, currently I'm also working with a leader in Australia, which is quite interesting. And the thing that I'm doing, I call it invisible companion. So as being a product leader myself, I know it's hard to reach out to other people to ask for help, right? Because you're in a leadership position. So it's really hard to tell anybody else that probably have no clue uh, what you're doing and uh, that you need support. So I'm doing my job as an invisible companion, helping product leaders to thrive and um, to kind of have a sparings partner and to get things sorted out because everyone somehow has the same challenges in their jobs, right? Like, am I a good leader? Is my product organization functioning? Am I delivering value to the customers? Like, how do I measure things? We all have the same challenges and it's just good to have a sparings partner and that's what I am. Yeah, that's interesting because I've discussed before that there's this kind of concept that once you get to a certain level of leadership, that everything's just going to be okay. And I contend that pretty much at all levels, it's not really okay. And everyone's kind of hanging on by their fingertips in some way or another. I'm not sure if that's 100% true, but it definitely feels that that leadership coaching is is something that really should be pushed and that people need that throughout their career. It is. And it's a growing thing. Like, I mean, when you when you look around, there are so many people who call themselves a leadership coach or a coach. There is definitely a growing market and the need also from the leadership side. And it's something that people start talking about officially. Like it's it's not a hidden thing anymore, right? Like you can be proud to have a coach on your side and it's nothing that you need to hide somewhere. But if you're invisible, is that like invisible to the client's organization like they don't know you're there and you're kind of just a spy in the background or exactly subterfuge exactly yeah i'm not doing any trainings or like consultings right because this is not what they need me for 
usually they have agile coaches and they have like engineering managers and senior product managers. So they don't need me to do some best case. <laughs> they don't need me to do some kind of trainings or they have other people who do trainings with them. I'm really only Sparing's partner to the CPOs and uh, head of products, unless there is a topic where we really need some kind of workshop. So I'm also doing workshops on team topologies or communication if wanted. But usually I really try to just be kind of the hidden champion. Behind the curtain. Behind the curtain. All the uh, puppet strings. Now, I know you're passionate about startups and you've started and sold one of your own. But does that passion extend to the types of people that you're mentoring? Is it primarily startups and early stage companies? Or, I mean, you're saying, for example, that about the money, I mean, there's presumably quite a lot of money in big enterprises that are trying to get more agile or trying to get more product focused. But are you very much sticking at the startup end of the scale? Well, my heart beats for startups and like define startups, right? Like where does a startup begin and where does it end? Yes. <laughs> well, I, I was saying recently, like when, when is a startup a startup and when is it just an unsuccessful small company? Exactly. Yeah. And I, I have no concrete answer, right? Like many companies <laughs> call themselves being a hyper growth phase. And I would definitely say that the companies that I'm currently working with are in hyper growth mode which is mainly due to my time at Contentful, where I was leading the product teams and we were in hyper growth phase. And that's exactly the same the um, situation that my clients are in, actually. And that's where you have the biggest challenges, right? Because you, on the one hand, have to provide vision and strategy and you need to be very organized. But at the same time, you are scaling your entire organization and you are so overwhelmed by all the day-to-day -day requests that you have on your table that you have just no clue if the decisions you made are right or wrong. Yeah, but that also must be quite challenging for you as well, because if you're in there for a limited period of time, like working with these, uh, men not mentees, but working with your clients and working with the people you're coaching, and then at some point, I'm assuming that engagement finishes, it's not a permanent arrangement. So do you find it's easy or quite challenging to have to compartmentalize stuff like that when you're talking about big things like strategy, team topologies and stuff like that. I mean, you can get quite deep into that stuff, right? Yeah, that's true. But it changed. Like when I started in 2019, I haven't had finished my coaching training. And in the meantime, I'm a certified systemic coach. So the way that I also help my CPOs and head of products to thrive just changed completely, right? Like what I've done before, I would say today was more like a consulting. So I had an idea on how to do strategy and how to do vision and how to build teams. And I was just helping them to do it the way that I've done it before, which is consulting. And now I'm more helping them to explore how to find the perfect setup for themselves. So I'm not that deep into their day-to-day -day business. I'm more like really someone who helps them to grow and helps them to find their own path. And in that position, it's way easier to also step back and say, like, you're now in a stage where you can really take over because you are ready. Like, you don't need me anymore. It's like, you know, you're grown up. You're great. You can call me whenever you need me. But I think it's it's good enough for now. And you can go all by yourself. Oh, excellent. That sounds really positive and a, and a great relationship there. But before that, you worked at a few places, but notably at PayPal. And you were there for quite some time working on a bunch of different initiatives. So if we go back in time to around about the time you started at PayPal, that was your first product job, as far as I can tell. So what got you into product management? Like, What gave you that 
interest and passion in the first place and why PayPal? It actually started already before PayPal. I just wasn't aware that I'm a product manager. <laughs> I think I'm a product manager since I was born. Because even when I was 10 or 12, I kind of always had the need of making things better and figuring out how to solve problems. Like I was always kind of a MacGyver, <laughs> even when I was a young child, you know. And then I worked for a German startup called Spreadshirt. They do print personalized messages on t-shirts similar to Zazzle. They are quite, quite known here in Germany. And I've led a department called Quality and Innovation. And we were transitioning back then to more like an agile approach of building products and had a workshop with Marty Kagan. So he was visiting us. Uh, the man. The man. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure if it's allowed to say that loud, but it's actually Marty Kagan who brought me into product management. Wow. There you go. Yeah. So he's got a bit of a hand in uh, German product scene because he was a mentor to Petra Villa as well. So yeah. it seems like his, uh, his arm has stretched all the way over from Silicon Valley. It is. And actually, I mean, that was the moment when we had that workshop with him. We were talking about product management at startups. And that was the moment where I figured out that the thing that I'm doing there day to day actually has a job title that really sounds sexy. I mean, product management sounds good, right? <laughs> so uh, that was nice. And then it was also easier to apply for a new job because I suddenly knew that there is something that I'm totally passionate about, and that's product management. And when PayPal reached out to me and offered me a product management position, I just said yes. So PayPal obviously is a, a big, great tech company. Yes. And I imagine a really good formative place for you to start building out your product muscles and to really understand what product management meant. Yeah. How much of a launch pad was that for you for like the rest of your career? Like how much did you learn there and how much did you have to learn afterwards? Tremendously. Tremendously, because honestly, I mean, if I were product manager in a German company, I'm sure I would have a completely different approach to product management than I have uh, thanks to that time at PayPal, where I was really like building global products with product managers and um, experts from all over the world. And it was really like a tough journey and a great journey as well, right? Because when I started at PayPal, we were writing PRDs. Do you remember what PRDs are? <laughs> Some people are still pushing them. Some people are still pushing the templates. No, 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 no. Don't tell me. <laughs> I saw one on medium.com the other day. <laughs> okay. Now, now I feel pain all over my body. So we were writing 60 pages long PRDs and sending them to San Francisco. And the only way to figure out whether our product ideas were released or not was when customers were calling in telling us that something was broken. And that actually was the moment when we figured out that the thing that we were writing like four years ago actually was released somehow, <laughs> right? And the experience that I made thanks to PayPal was that you can transition an entire organization from being waterfall to being truly agile and product-led within a year, maybe one and a half year, if you really want to. And that was awesome. Like my title didn't change. I was a product manager when I started and I was a product manager when I left. But what happened in between was just really stunning because they transformed the entire organization towards being customer centric, doing research, building products with value, measure success, working in uh, small cycles and just releasing stuff that delivers wow moments to customers. 
So yes, I'm extremely grateful for that time. But that's interesting because I would have assumed that they would have been kind of like that from the start, but it sounds like they weren't. No, they weren't. And I mean, honestly, if you dig a bit deeper into the PayPal flows, you will still find pages that were designed in 1999. <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds really interesting. But obviously, that journey that you've just touched on, the journey from being a big upfront planning waterfall organization, moving into being a proper product-led agile organization. I mean, that's something that lots of companies are trying to be. But I'm pretty sure that many of them are failing to do. And I know that one of the things that you talked about or that we talked about before this call was trying to move away from being the feature factory and moving far more towards being a proper product-led organization. Yeah. And one of the things that you said about that was that part of that starts with the product people themselves and like the mindset of the product people. Now, I was thinking, well, most product people probably want to be good product-led people because they're product people and that's the job that they've got. But what do you mean by that, starting with the product manager? Like, what does that mindset shift entail? I mean, for me, transitioning an, organ an entire organization is almost impossible for a single person, right? I think, I mean, we can agree to that. It won't happen. But in my career at PayPal, I also had times where I was just waiting for someone to, for example, provide me a vision or a strategy or some guidance or some ideas on what to build next. And I felt lost, like really lost extremely often. And I know that at this time at PayPal, I was often more like finger pointing to the leadership team or to the sales team or the marketing team and always saying like, they don't deliver, they don't do like I can't because they don't, right? And what I figured out during my career is that you can also approach it the other way around. Instead of waiting for everyone else to deliver things, Like, why don't you just uh, lead by example, right? And maybe you won't be the one creating a vision for the entire organization, but for sure you are responsible for a certain domain. And if you are able to create a strategy or a vision for that certain domain, if you come up with a smart way of measuring your success or describing the value you deliver, at least your certain domain is in a very well-defined state. And then you can present what you did and you can help others to learn and to also understand what brought you there and how they can maybe learn from you. So you can stop finger pointing and asking other people to deliver and instead rather doing maybe tiny little baby steps, but still feeling some progress instead of saying like, I can't because I can't is just not true. There's always ways to change or to do things in a different way. Yeah, I think there are extreme circumstances where perhaps the leadership or the rest of the organization are actively pushing against yeah. that kind of change because they don't feel that it makes sense. And I guess you could probably argue that you should just leave those companies and go and get a better job somewhere else. But That's true. yeah, I completely agree with you that the the idea that it's everyone else's fault and that they've they've not drunk the product Kool-Aid and that they're not doing the things that they should be doing, even though probably no one ever told them that they should be doing them before, right? Because of the type of organization it was. It definitely feels like being a bit more humble from the product side and not being so idealistic that it's everyone else's fault because they're not doing the things that were in the books that you read, but probably a very positive step. Yeah. But do you think that feature factories, like we've kind of just described or touched on at least, Do you think that that's something that's exclusively or primarily the preserve of a really large 
company trying to transform or do you think that there's quite a lot of little startup you're shaking your head already and now you're nodding your head so i'm assuming that (laughs) (laughs) Um, so i'm assuming then the answer is that you do believe that there are a number of small urgent startups that are also doing it entirely wrong exactly i mean i'm seeing so many different models all over the world and since i'm working with small startups and hyper growth and enterprise companies at the same time i think i have quite a good sense of what's going on out there And for me, like maybe let me start somewhere else. For me, there are three different models that I observe. It's either marketing-led, it's sales-led, or it's product-led. And none of them is wrong. I think that's my statement number one, right? Like it's fully okay to be a marketing-led company. Let's say you are an e-commerce company and like your biggest business is the Christmas time. So for sure, you're optimizing for conversion rate and landing pages and uh, ZEO and uh, SEA are just the things that you spend your money in. And that's fine, right? There's nothing wrong with it. Like not every company needs to turn into a product-led company. There are also times when you are um, in the need of being a sales-led company. And we've had that at PayPal as well, right? Like if you want to transition from being a long-tail business into being an enterprise business, then there is a time where you are sales-led, right? Because there is an enterprise company and they only sign the contract When you deliver certain features, bam, you're a feature factory. The only thing that is important for me is that when you make that decision, it should be a conscious decision. It shouldn't be something that just happens by whatever. It should be a conscious decision where you are fully aware that now I am a feature factory or I am sales led because this is part of my strategy and I need to do that because I need to grow. And then there comes a point in time where probably you decide to transition into marketing-led or product-led. And that's totally okay. But it shouldn't just happen. It should be a conscious decision and then everything's fine. Yeah, well said. And uh, yeah, I think that with everything, it's all about how far on the kind of equalizer each of those bars is. Like, it can be a journey. And one of the things with regard to that whole discussion around moving from a feature factory to being more product-led, it's like, I think you said it yourself, like incremental change is actually okay, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be like all of the classic books on day one, as long as it's moving in that direction somewhat and that you're comfortable with the pace of the change. And again, if you're being actively blocked, pull the parachute or you know whatever emergency slide and leave, I guess. But if you can live with the pace of it, then it feels like as long as there's a direction, that's probably still okay. That's true. You also described yourself before this as a terrible boss uh, when you started out, not anymore, (laughs) and that it was a long journey to get to where you are today. Yes. What were some of the key mistakes that you made as a leader back when you were a terrible one of those? Oh my gosh, I think I was really the most terrible leader that you can imagine. (laughs) Uh, When I started my first job, I had a team of five people. And there was one girl that just hated me because uh, I had the same name like her mom and she also hated her mom. So she hated me already before I started, which wasn't the best. I don't think you can blame that on your leadership style, though. (laughs) Well, honestly, you can, right? Because this shouldn't be a reason on why you feel uncertainty when talking to um, such a direct report, right? You shouldn't (laughs) get nervous just because someone doesn't like you. This is things or these are things that just happen to you. 
when you are a leader, there will always be people who probably do not like you. That's <laughs> a fact. I'm not here to be liked by everybody as a leader, but we need to emphasize with people and we just need to find a common ground and a trusted relationship with our team, which doesn't mean we need to love everybody. But what happened to me back then is that like after, I think, six weeks working in that company, the girl and I were screaming at each other extremely loud on the floor in front of everybody else, which is really the most terrible start you can have as a new leader in a job. So I was sure I will never, ever become the opportunity to be a leader anymore because that's just something that you can't do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I've certainly seen some some fine examples of that in my time as well. I've always tried to be very diplomatic myself. Uh, but I think the most interesting thing for me is that sometimes you see leaders that maybe everyone else thinks are kind of bad, but they themselves think that they're kind of nailing it. That's true. And doing really well. That's true. Did you know that you were not nailing it at the time? Was that something you were conscious of and actively striving to get better at? Or did at the time you, you feel that it was kind of going okay and it was only afterwards that you realized? No, it was exactly the opposite. Like I felt that I am not the leader that I want to be. And I am a person that usually always has, has a picture in mind of what is the perfect state like for myself, but also for situations or for whatever. So I had an idea of who I want to be as a leader. And I knew back then that I'm still far, far away from that moment that I, or that person that I want to be. So I knew back then that the thing that happened to me was the beginning of a very long journey that just started back then. And I think a journey to being a great leader never ends. Never. Yeah, I think the journey to being a great anything probably never ends either. But I guess one question though is, what was the first step? Like, so you're sitting there in your job, thinking that you're underperforming in your leadership role, based on some of the things you've said. And there is a journey ahead of you. But obviously, all journeys start with that one step. So what was that first step? Reflecting. I was in the lucky position to have a great boss myself back then. And uh, we had a very trusted relationship. So the first thing I did was immediately going to him and telling him what happened to me and how awkward it felt and that I need to find a solution and that I want to get better. And he took my concerns very serious and he was just holding my hand and helping me to get over that and helping me to understand like what are the best steps in order to get closer to the leader I want to be. And he helped me through the journey. Yeah, I think so much of this stuff certainly when you're new into that type of role always comes down to the leaders that you have to look up to and yeah i guess we could argue then that that is one of the reasons that you're so passionate about this leadership coaching now i am because you've made those mistakes in the past would you say it's fair to say that you're now trying to make sure that the future generation of leaders don't make the same mistakes that you did yes for sure i mean leadership itself changed completely right i mean when I was a leader like 15 years ago, leadership was not what it is today. So there is anyways changing so many things in the environment, not only from the younger generation, how they expect to be led, but also by the leaders who have to lead and we all have to adopt. 
And for me, the journey that I went through in the past years was just like extremely helpful and insightful. And it was awesome because you're not only meeting great leaders, you also meet leaders who are bad <laughs> in their jobs. Honestly, I mean, those are the people you probably also have on your checklist, right? Yep. 10 things I do not want to do as a leader, actually. <laughs> maybe 20, maybe 100, depends on how many bosses you had or how old you are. But yeah, for sure, leader, leadership for me is a gift. If you are a leader and you are a good leader, it is a gift because you can help other people to grow and best case, they even grow beyond you. And if there is this moment where we have a direct report and suddenly she is promoted to a similar position that you probably hold, I mean, how awesome is that, right? Because you were part of that journey. And I think that that's what leadership is all about. Like, it's like seeing flowers to bloom and helping people to really grow out of their comfort zone, become better, become the persons they want to be. So leadership for me is just a gift, like from day one until the end. Yeah, but that whole concept of people flowering above your own self is something that terrifies a number of mediocre managers, though, right? Yeah. And mediocre leaders, because it's almost like the entire point of their leadership to them is to just be in charge. So for people to then go above that or be peers of them to some of these people, that's the last thing they want. Yeah, so, because they believe in power structures, right? Exactly. So yeah. I guess, again, that would be something that would be tricky to fight against if that was the company culture. Yeah. And again, maybe you just get another job somewhere else. Exactly. But I guess if you're in a company where that is promoted, then hopefully that should give people that chance to thrive. Now, also, when you were younger, you thought there was something wrong with you because you wanted to do everything really, really fast. And now you've decided that actually everyone else is just too slow. <laughs> and you're now trying to help people make fast, timely decisions to help them get moving quickly. What's an example, maybe something that you've seen or done in your career where you've seen the results of going too slow or not making a decision in a timely manner that's had a really bad effect on a product or a piece of work that had to be done? Well, first, I wouldn't say that everyone was uh, or everyone is too slow. Actually, <laughs> everyone just has his or her own pace, and that's fully fine, right? And that's like, slower than yours, though, is what we're saying, though, right? But it's slower. It's slower than mine, and that's okay. Like in the meantime, especially thanks to my coaching training, I learned to cope with impatience, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great learning, especially when you have kids as well. Patience is always a good friend of mine in the meantime. So yeah, there are a couple of people who are slower than me. And I always heard from my bosses that I am too fast and that I should slow down. And that always bothered me because I didn't really know what they mean. Because I thought that I have full control of the, over the situations, that I have enough insights to make decisions and that I really know all the things I need to know in order to proceed. But people around me just had a different way of learning or digging deeper into topics or they had a different path to success, actually. And in the meantime, I can fully accept that. That's fine. It's really something where I say, like, you're getting older, you're getting more patient. And so you can <laughs> accept such things. But for example, when I was working for PayPal, we wanted to build kind of a PayPal 2.0 for the German market. 
And we were pitching that solution for more than four crazy years before wow. getting the allowance to actually build it. And when we've built it, suddenly, like I think three or four months after we released the product, our competitors had exactly the same product released to the market. And unfortunately, I would say today, they even released a better version than we did because we delivered under pressure. And I think that's something that happens to us all over the place, right? If you're a product manager, sometimes decisions are made very, very slow. You need to wait in order to get resources. And then if there is this point in time, you feel like there is so much pressure to release something now, and then maybe it is too late. And this is what happens regularly. Well, that's why they need to come and find you to tell them how to do it properly. <laughs> well, or to figure out what to do properly, because I can't, you know, coaching again, like I can't tell them um, how to do it properly, but I can help them to figure out what's the best way for my customers to do it in the right way. Makes a lot of sense. You also mentioned how many companies aren't delivering wow moments and that you want to help them do that. Yeah. What's one product? that you've seen recently that's been a real disappointment? And you can say Clubhouse if you want. Oh, can I? Oh, no, honestly, I mean, I'm not using Clubhouse anymore. That's what everyone says. But that's just because I'm overwhelmed, right? Like there's too much information in there and it's too fast for me and I have so many things to read and to watch and I do not need another source of uh, information in order to get more input. <laughs> but for me, like there is, an, there is an app that I recently used in order to track my behavior, right? Because I always have a motto each year and this year um, it is uh, healthier eating habits and uh, no day without sports. So I was downloading that app that kind of promised me to deliver on that things and help me to get into that mood of really doing things regularly. And it was quite nice for the first like one to two weeks because they had a great onboarding flow and they gave me the feeling that they really personalized my journey based on the questions that they were asking. But unfortunately, like latest after two to three weeks, it turned out that there was no personalization behind it. It was just a content engine. And they didn't deliver upon their promise to personalize my journey to healthier habits because they didn't know who I am. They didn't know what I eat and they didn't even analyze my like eating behavior or sports behavior. So they didn't personalize anything at all. And that's where I am really frustrated, right? Because like, if you have a great marketing engine at the beginning of your customer journey, and then you do not deliver on the promises that you gave, that's terrifying for your users. And we can't afford that as product managers to deliver such customer journeys. That's marketing-led uh, organizations all the way through though, right? Just uh, everything, everything looks good in the pitch deck. Exactly. Now, last year, I read something like 51 books, and I thought that I was doing pretty well. You know, all things considered. But you've really put me in my place. Because you claim to have read, what, 24 books already this year? And we're like a quarter through. So you're on track for a pretty good number. Is that something that you've actually basically practiced to do and you've kind of learned to speed read or you just like everything else just really fast, just naturally? Unfortunately, as soon as I was able to read, and I think there was something when I was five or six years old, 
I spent my entire money into books. I'm just addicted to reading. And I think reading fast is something that is also part of my of my nature because I'm a very pragmatic person. And for me, it's also fine to skip some pages. You know, like if I see ah, that... Ah, so you're reading some of the books. Okay. I'm not, I'm, well, I'm not reading every single word, right? It might happen that I kind of jump over five or six words or 10 or 20, but nevertheless have like all the extracts of the book that I currently need. Because I mean, if you read a book, you do not read the book because you need every single piece of information in that book, but you need certain things from that book in order to proceed with a project or whatever you're currently working on or you're interested in. And I think I have that talent of identifying the things that I need to read quite fast by kind of cross-read all the pages. And I think that's what's just making me fast. And I never learned that. There was no reason for me to kind of learn how to read fast it just happened for some reasons what's the best book you've read so far then this year out of those 20 or so books for me it's still the five dysfunctions of a team it's the one book that i recommend everyone to read it's extremely short it's full of content and i think that's one of the books where i've read really every single word yay <laughs> <laughs> you finally completed a book i did i did and obviously you've been coaching leaders for a while now and it's impossible to distill that all into one piece of advice but if you had to give one piece of advice to a new product leader something that they could do to either enhance or enable them to start making an impact what would that piece of advice be trust yourself first Start loving yourself and trusting yourself, because if you don't do, how should your team do? A very fair sentiment. I'll start trusting myself tomorrow morning. <laughs> and where can people catch up with you if they want to speak more about product or find out about all the books you're reading? Yeah, I'm always on LinkedIn. I think that's the fastest uh, way to connect to me. Okay, I will put you in the show notes and hopefully you'll get a flood of followers. I mean, I don't know how, how it is about you, but whenever I have a meeting or an interview or a presentation, or I always set a goal for myself. And usually it's the goal of if there's one person in the world that I delivered one piece of value with the thing that I've done, I think that's great. So even if I don't get like a massive load of followers after talking to you, if there's only one person that says like, yeah, now I start believing in myself or now I start opening the product black box, I think we've done a great job here. Yeah, that's the goal. Always the goal. One person at a time. <laughs> well, that's been a fantastic chat and obviously really good to hear some of your experiences and the shocking news about how PayPal started out. Hopefully we can stay in touch. But as for now, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for your time as well. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you found the episode interesting and inspiring. Again, I'd love it if you could spread the word and share this episode widely and check out some of my other great episodes on the website onenightinproduct.com. Sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on the podcast app of your choice. I'll be back soon with another inspiring guest, but as for now, thanks and good night. Good night.